Well, the great name of Jesus is how we have gathered, and it is because of the great name of Jesus that he has changed us. We're glad that you're here in worship. <clears throat> if I, we haven't had a chance to meet, I'm Pastor Kirk. I'm one of the pastors here at Bethesda. And as we have been doing in our services, we've been looking at generosity moments. And so if you can pull up that slide, our generosity moment this morning comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. And the scriptures tell us, but, with godly, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. The hundredth question that's listed in our red catechism books that we use for confirmation in our bonafide ministry with middle schoolers asks this question, the hundredth question. What does God require of you in the ninth commandment? Answer, God requires me to help my neighbor to find and keep a place to live and be content with what I have. And then one of the verses that's listed for this commandment is 1 Timothy Chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. And the Amplified Translation colors this verse by saying, Contentment, which comes from a sense of inner confidence based on the sufficiency of God. Isn't that good? That contentment, which comes from the sense of inner confidence based on the sufficiency of God. So let's ponder this question. What would it look like to mix godliness and contentment together? The answer is given. Great gain. Instead of striving to accumulate, these verses in God's word give us a teaching that contentment, which might not be the cultural narrative we see in our media feeds, is actually a game gainer. The second half of the verse reminds us of a comment you might hear at a funeral. Quote, you don't see a hearse pulling a trailer. Today, we officially celebrate 98 years of ministry as a church family doing ministry. That's why we have balloons. Only heaven knows the stories of those who have given of their talents, time, and resources that have helped support ministries both across the street and around the world. The end reports, I hope, will give you just a glimpse of faithful giving, but really the true story of what's happening when a daughter of the king or a son of the king gives from a content heart. It's a God thing that happens to that. No compulsion. So you're invited to be a part of the mission and vision of Bethesda. We want to make it easy and accessible for you. So secure boxes are in the back. You can give online or via our Bethesda app, or there's a QR code, if that's convenient for you, located in the bulletin. So we're going to pray for the offering, and we're going to pray for the annual meeting. I want to invite you to, if you are a member of the church or if you're watching online, Pastor Brian sent out a Zoom link. We want to encourage you to grab lunch. Immediately after the service, we have box lunches that are available for you. Those lunches will happen right after the service, and then we'll start our meeting at 12.30 for members. And we hope that you'll stick around. And those of you, again, online, you can take part in that as well, too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can gather in Jesus' name and praise your great name. What has Christ done for us? Well, we have testimony to that. You haven't left us alone, but you as the great high priest empathize and sympathize with us. We pray, Father, for your visitation as we meet as the end for our meeting. And we thank you, Father, that for 98 years you have been faithful and that you have used broken people like us to point others to the cross, to the cross. We pray for those who have, are serving you so faithfully in our communities. We thank you for Mercy Ministries who at this time have the difficulty of 
finding shelter for those people who have no shelter. And thank you that we can partner with some of them. And we pray especially for a couple ministry couples in Chad who have completed their training and now they are looking to you and looking to the Chadian church for their placement. We pray, Lord, that there will be a gospel witness through these two couples in this beautiful country of Chad. And we ask that you'd lead and guide and direct them in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Well, six words. Um, maybe you hear them from a boss or an impatient parent. And maybe you hear that on a phone conversation. And those six words are this. Just give me the bottom line. It's this idea of can you summarize your thoughts quickly and essentially. I mean, you pick that up in good literature, don't you? They call it the climax of the story and don't miss that where the conflict and the plot is resolved. My father-in-law has taught me that you can see if a book is any good or not if you read the final chapter. And for years I thought he was cheating. He said if you just read the final chapter, that kind of is a summary of the book. Maybe some people will say this, I know you saw the movie, just don't spoil it for me. Well, here's where we're going to start in this message. We're going to start with the bottom line. We're going to start with the summary in this message called Jesus is Greater. And we're going to take a look at the summary because there's going to be two more reasons to understand why Jesus is better. And the summary verses are from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 through 18. And the Amplified Bible has done a beautiful job in summarizing it for us, and I want to read this to you. Now, the Amplified Bible, what it does is it expands and it helps us get our heads around all the nuances and the rest of the story. So I'm going to read it for you here and we'll take a look at it as well in a little bit. The bottom line for this message is this. Therefore, it was essential. Whenever you see the word therefore, ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore? It's kind of a, conclu it's kind of a clue that the writer for the book of he that the writers, the New Testament writers, in other words, they're going, yoo-hoo, uh, this is important. I'm going to summarize it this way. So the Amplified Translation says this, therefore it was essential that he, that he is Jesus, had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he might by experience become merciful and faithful high priest in things related to God. To make atonement, propitiation for the people's sins, thereby wiping away their sin, satisfying divine justice, and providing a way of reconciliation between God and mankind. And hold on for just a sec. We're going to explain what those bold words mean later in this message. Continuing on. Because he himself in his humanity has suffered, key word, being tempted, he is able to help and provide immediate assistance to those, those as us, who are being tempted and exposed to suffering. I just want you to step back on this summary and just kind of ponder what the writer for the book of Hebrews says in these summary verses. He's saying that the one who made the stars, the one who was forever God, who made the stars, became one of us, and he had to learn to make his bed. 
What he's saying in these verses is that the one who is the second person of the Trinity, who remembers all the hairs of your head and the sound of your voice, he needs to be reminded by his mom to take his lunch to rabbi school. First John chapter 4, verse 10 says this, This is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us, and he has sent his son to be the payment or the propitiation or the atonement of our sins. And he did all that by suffering. Jesus knows the full range of emotions of betrayal, of loneliness, and of feeling abandoned. So the guts of this message is this. We have a Savior who suffered for us. We have a Savior who was tempted for us but never failed. We say at Christmas time this word that God is with us, Emmanuel. And in this summary, in this bottom line, we can understand this. Not only he is with us, but he gets us. He's with us and he gets us so that when we pray, he doesn't go, well, I don't know what that's like. He gets us. His kingly work and his priestly work go together and we'll understand that more as we go into this 13-week or a 13-chapter sermon. But our key verse is Hebrews 1.3a. Let's read it out loud together. I hope that over the course of this series, you'll memorize these verses that we have up here and that they'll embed in your heart. Let's read it out loud together. On your mark, get set, let's read. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power. Absolutely. I want to invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 2 in your Bible or in a pew Bible. It's on page 1033, I believe it is. Last week, Pastor Brian did such a fabulous job setting this passage of Scripture up, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. And he reminded us that the first four verses are really a warning. In other words, it's a, a chance that we are not to miss. And these are the key points that were shared last week. First of all, it's this. Pay close attention to Jesus. Pay very close attention to Jesus. And understand what's the worst thing that could happen. The worst thing that could happen is to receive the wrath of God on your own and the judgments that will come. And know this, that salvation in Jesus is our security. Everything's nuts. The world is nuts. Like what's going to happen this week? But we rest in this, that Jesus is our security, that we can hold on to him. So we're going to look at the fact that Jesus is greater, and we're going to look at two more reasons. One of those, the first reason, is that Jesus is compared to all other humans, and he stands alone. He stands all alone. And as a result of him standing all alone, he, he offers us a beautiful way that he will never disappoint or lie. Secondly, the reason why Jesus is greater is the process that he goes through. The process that he goes through is something called suffering. And his suffering wasn't needless. His suffering bought you and I, bought you and I forgiveness of sins, and not only that, 
but this incredible reality that Jesus puts his arm over your shoulder and he is not ashamed, not ashamed to say to our Heavenly Father, Kirk's with me. Bruce is with me. Melissa's with me. Wow. He did that for me? He did. Did you find the scriptures? Let's read aloud. Or not, I guess, read aloud, but you can follow along. By the way, this is living. This is active. This is God-breathed. And so when you read it, watch it change you. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. It's not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified What is mankind that you are mindful of them? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels and you crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we don't see everything subject to them, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death And so by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer, or in some translations it says founder, of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. For Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says... I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am and the children that God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he may break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had, been, he had to be made like them. Fully human in every way, in order that he might become merciful and a faithful high priest in the service of God. And that he might make atonement, propitiation, reconciliation for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let us pray. Holy Father, through you everything exists, coordinates, and functions in the cosmos, in the galaxies, in the oceans, in the seas, and here on planet Earth. You are building your kingdom though we may not see it or understand with our finite minds how. You sent Jesus to be the payment for our sins and you sent the Holy Spirit to equip and help us when we are tempted by sin. So this morning, would you graciously open our eyes and hearts and minds to see you just a little bit clearer. We come to you with grateful hearts for the grace that you extend to us because of the blood of your Son. And we stand in awe as the Son of Man, our elder brother, sits at your right hand, 
even now, speaking our names in intercession, that alone blows our finite minds. So I pray that you'll take your word and do your work amongst your people for your glory. Amen and amen. This message is entitled, Jesus is Greater, Two More Reasons. And here is the first reason. Jesus is greater, though temporarily obscured, pathmaker. Jesus is greater, though temporarily obscured, pathmaker. Do you see it where it says in verse 5, there is a world to come? There is a world to come. And in that world to come, those who are followers of Christ will be given an assignment that's almost too crazy to get your head around. Those who are followers of Christ are actually given an assignment in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3. It says, he will judge angels. We will judge. We will judge angels. Wow. And in these first couple verses, it says, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Now, there's two perspectives on understanding us as humans. First perspective in this spectrum is the spectrum maybe over here on this one side is that the world is all about me. I, it, we call it narcissistic. Maybe you've seen the cartoon before of two people apparently on their first date. The guy is talking with the gal at a dinner and he said, okay, I've talked enough about myself, enough about me. What do you think about me? You know, Ugh. you've got this idea, find the best version of yourself and the world spins around in me time. That's one perspective. On the other perspective is this hurting, broken person who's got self-worth about like this and they have no boundaries and they feel like a worm and they're even sitting, maybe even in the sanctuary, thinking, if God only knew, if you only knew, there's no way that God could forgive me. Crazy perspective. The Christian reformers gave us a beautiful term to help us understand what the Bible says. And the Bible says that we are made in the image of God, and the Latin word was called amagio dei. Say that back to me. Ready? One, two, three. Amagio dei. It means that we're made in the image of God, unlike any other creature. I mean, I love dogs. Horses are beautiful. Golden eagles are awesome. But we're different than that. We're different than that. We are made in the image of God and for just a little bit obscured. You'll see that in verse 7. And if you go down in the NIV, it says, just for a little while, the Son of Man was obscured. In fact, he hid his glory. I've been thinking about that for quite a bit this week, for a little while. And I thought, how, did, how, did, how does that work? How was Jesus obscured? I mean, maybe you've seen the pictures, the Renaissance pictures of Jesus with this halo around his head. And I thought, how, is, how did that work? I mean, the people that rub shoulders with him. And I thought, of course, his glory was obscured. Because listen, Peter rebuked him. He got in his grill Martha chewed out God because she was late to a funeral. Nathaniel throws God, Jesus, under the bus and his family and basically goes, Pfft. nothing ever good comes out of Nazareth. 
And you could go on and on and on. Pilate manned up on him. Guards beat him. Barabbas was compared to him. His own family doubted him. He was obscured for just a little bit of time. Now, we just came out of uh, Christmas. And the scriptures say, tell us that the word became flesh and for a while dwelt among us. And so we light these Advent candles about the incarnation. It says that God became flesh. But then verse 9 uses this incredible, interesting question. It says, but we see him. So I ask you this question, how's your hymn sight? How's your hymn sight? You see, we're living in between two different eras. We're living in when Christ came on the cross and the end of time. We're in that now. We are in the last days. The Bible is really clear of that, both in the book of Hebrews and throughout. Peter talks about that again and again. But the question that I have for you is, how's your hymn sight? Do you know him? Do you walk with him? If he were to speak, would you know how to obey? If he were to ask you to do, would you do it? I mean, do you spend time in God's word and, and, and have your daily diet? Do you spend time in prayer, adoring him and worshiping him and confessing your sins and thanking him? And then, and then, bringing your request to him. Look what it says in verse 9. Go back to verse 9. This is where I'm getting this. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. It says this, But do we see Jesus, other translations say him, who is made a little lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he may taste death for everyone. The word is this. It's not a nibble death. It's like this kind of death. <clears throat> Takes a big chunk out of it. He experienced death for everyone. Do you see him? The Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter 1 verse 18 through 21. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from our ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but he was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believed in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. How's your hymn sight? How's your hymn sight? because he's coming back and he will come to bring his bride home. God's gift of grace is never cheap. It cost our Lord his life. He calls us by name. That's incredible, isn't it? 
The scripture tells us that he was crowned with glory and honor. He, he was crowned with glory and honor. Again. If verse 9 is the hinge and it tells us the reason why, verse 10 is the process and the payout as he cares for you and I. Verse 10 says this. Let's take a look at that verse again. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it is fitting that God, for whom and through him everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. How can a perfect God be made more perfect? How does that work? Perfect in this way doesn't mean something that there was a gap in, or it doesn't mean that he has to, he has to correct something. Perfect in this mean, way means he was going to experience it. He was going to experience flesh. He was going to experience temptation. Incredible. It's important to note that our Father and our Father's will, in our Father's will, His beloved Son, King Jesus, needed to live this kind of life to become a perfect sacrifice for sins and for sins once for all. Jesus said to His good friend Cleopas, who was on the road to Emmaus, He said in Luke chapter 23, verse 45, He said, didn't the, Son of, didn't the Christ have to suffer all these things? He had to suffer all these things. And he suffered, and his sacrifice was once for all, a single. And when Christ was tempted, he never gave in. When Jesus died, there were two things that happened as the bondage breaker for us. Two things that happened. One, he defeated the devil. And two, he satisfied God's wrath. He defeated the devil. And he satisfied God's wrath. Now let's understand that a little bit. This is a broken world. And the final opponent has been defeated. And in order to defeat death, you must defeat sin. And the Bible talks about the fear of death. What is the fear of death? Death has been very close. Death has been around my life as a pastor in the last two weeks. People like Jack and Gene and Toby and Larry and Pastor Kevin. People still die. So what does this passage of Scripture mean? There's a key word that's found in verse 15. It means destroy. Other translations use the word deliver. That word means this, to render ineffective or nullified or canceled. Who has the power of death? The one who defeated death is Christ. But Satan himself has the sting and the ache and the wound and the hurt. Yes, 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 and when someone dies, we grieve appropriately, we mourn appropriately, we hurt, we weep with our friend, but that's not the final word. That is not the final word. This scripture says that the fear of death does not mean I'm doomed. Jesus doomed the doomer. There are now former doomies who are undoomed. We are not doomed. 1 John, 5, 1 John 3, 8 says, the person who lives the sinful life belongs to the devil because the devil has been committing sin since the beginning. The reason the Son of God appears was to destroy what the devil does. Many of us have gone to Easter services before and heard the preacher speak from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
It's called the resurrection chapter. It's called the foundation for Easter. And if you look at the resurrection chapter as it talks about Christ defeating death, we understand three main points from that. That Jesus has come back to life. Those who follow Jesus will come back to life. And those who come back to life will have new bodies. And I'm just warning you, when I get a new body in heaven, I'm taking off my shirt for eternity and going, check out these guns right here. That's what it means. Well, maybe not this, but you get it. Jesus is the one who freed us from slavery. But there's a second point as well, too. And the second point is that Jesus fulfilled the wrath of God. He filled the wrath of God. As you look at the suffering and death of Christ, no one ever says, man, I wish I could switch places with Jesus. I wish he, I could have his life. Nobody says that. Now, many of us have enjoyed the television series, The Chosen, and if you haven't checked it out, you should really check it out. It's fantastic. But what nailed me this week about The Chosen is soon we're going to watch episodes that will go, oh, that's right. Michael Kruger wrote a commentary called Hebrews for You. It's been very helpful in preparations for these messages. He said this, Jesus never gave in to temptation, but that doesn't mean he didn't feel it. It means he feels it even more. We get a reprieve from temptation because when we give into it, but he didn't give into it. Can you imagine going through life with all the temptations hanging over you with no reprieve and never giving in even once? Jesus absolutely understands what it means to be tempted. On the flip side, the first time ever in the history of the world, Satan tempted a human and the human never sinned. Listen, this is the holiness credited to you and me if we trust in Jesus. That is a gift. It is a, by his grace only, and that grace only is always linked to blood. Always. Now, succinctly, in verse 18, you read these powerful words, propitiation, atonement, reconciliation. Different translations use different ways. Here it is succinctly. Those words, that word means to be satisfied or to have the appeasement of divine wrath. The word is hilasmas. It means to show mercy by satisfying. Jesus pays the penalty of sin and he makes the perfect payment of sacrifice for God on all confessed sins. He suffered in the flesh. He did not do this remotely or in a castle. Oftentimes people say, I feel like God is so angry at me like thunderbolts in wrath. Understand this, child of God. His anger and wrath are directly at the cross, focused directly at the cross, and he has been satisfied. I thought for years, I couldn't get my head around this wrath of God, the wrath of God, the wrath of God, and then I understood, wait a second, the wrath of God, the holiness of God, the goodness of God, how do all those things mesh? They mesh and they meet on the cross. And those who are followers of Christ who have confessed their sin and asked Christ into their heart and walk with Christ 
in humility, God's favor is on you. Notice what I don't say when, we give, when I give you the benediction. This is what I don't say. I raise up my hand and I say, okay, this week, don't screw up as much. Be more religious. Do more good stuff than bad stuff. And above all, don't tick off you know him. No. You say, mate, God's make his face shine on you and be gracious to you because what Christ has done. Bottom line, Jesus suffered as a human, especially in death. He sympathizes and empathizes and is merciful for, to you. If you think you need to do more good stuff to win his approval, no. It's finished. He knows and understands human infirmities since he experienced a full range of emotions and he has paid and atoned and propitiated and reconciled you as a child of God to our Heavenly Father. The book of Colossians is so fantastic here. Let me read it to you. It uses the same word, Colossians 2, verses 13 through 15. It says this, when you were dead in your, when you were dead in your sins in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them and triumphed them over the cross. In summary, as a church family, as we do each Sunday, we ask some questions and wrestle with these questions, friends. Why would the devil be referred to as the one who has the power of death? Why would the devil be referred to that? It's a reminder like this. I mean, it's like a slingshot compared to the military enforcement that God has given his children of God. He has given us his spirit. He has given us prayer. He's given us God's word. And praise God, he has given us the church. By that, I mean the people of God who are in our lives that when we're going through difficult times, they walk with us. It's a beautiful example of that this week. Second question that I would have you consider is this. How does the reality of the incarnation, the Christmas story, and the Easter morning resurrection, how does that fill in the gaps regarding suffering? How does it fill in the gaps? That God came in the flesh and that we are on lap one, and who knows when he's going to come back. But he came the first time. and He's not going to abandon us. What about resurrection? How does that give us hope? How does that give us hope? It gives us hope in this way. How we live this life will affect the next life. He is the one who's resurrected from the dead. The tomb is empty. He appeared to over 500 witnesses at, at once. And lives have been changed since that time. Doubts? Problems? Sure. Suffering that comes our way? Yep. Hard times? Absolutely. But he is faithful. Didn't you sing that? 
We sang that God is faithful. We know that Jesus lives. We know that he's given us his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit transforms lives. And the church will endure. It's not a boast on Bethesda. It's a boast on his bride. Because he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against him. So stand. Let's prepare our hearts to sing. Let's first pray. Lord, there are two great reasons, two more great reasons to praise you. You provided a better way. You gave your own blood for us. And by that blood, you broke the bondage of sin. You broke the power of death. And there's hope. I want to thank you, Father, for all the people that have gathered, those who have watched online as well. And I pray that you would take this word and that you would bury it deep into our hearts, that as the high priest, the one who understands, the one who sympathizes, the one who gets temptation, yet was without sin, we are, you are the one that we worship. In Christ's name, amen.